It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. Recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au and on your podcasting app. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. My name's Kay Winnigal and I'm joined by my co-hosts Laura Perry and Michael Steindl. Morning Kay, morning Mike. Good morning both. Good morning all. And Natalie. Today we're going to be talking to Professor David Caroli, who along with ethics professor Clive Hamilton, have just released the Minority Report on Australia's Climate Goals and Policies, directly after the Climate Change Authority's release of its report, the Majority Report. David Caroli is a Professor of Atmospheric Science in the School of Earth Sciences and the ARC Centre of Excellence for Climate System Science at the University of Melbourne. He is an internationally recognised expert on climate change and climate variability, including greenhouse climate change, stratospheric ozone depletion and interannual climate variations due to El Nino sudden oscillation. He was heavily involved in the preparation of the fourth assessment report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change that was released in 2007 and in several different roles. And he was the review editor in the chapter Australasia in the IPCC fifth assessment report released in 2014. Good morning. How are you doing, David? I'm doing fine, and you could have saved about three minutes by not reading out all that long information. (laughs) Oh, I know. It makes it very interesting, David. I was just saying you're a member of the Climate Change Authority. That's correct. And it's chartered to provide independent advice to the Australian government on climate change mitigation initiatives. What, What was the purpose of the third and final report of the special review? Um, look, the, the special review was requested by the Minister for the Environment at the time, Greg Hunt, as part of a deal with Palmer United Party, essentially to a condition of Palmer United voting for continued support of the Climate Change Authority, but also voting to remove the legislation that set up the carbon pricing mechanism. So essentially it was a deal that allowed the federal government to close the carbon pricing mechanism and introduce their own direct action policy. And as part of that deal, the special review was to review whether Australia needed an emissions trading scheme and also whether what... Australia's emission reduction targets should be leading into the Paris Climate Conference last year. So are you saying that it actually was there to really look at the emissions trading scheme rather than on the climate? Is that the gist well, of it? Well, it was, it was to do both. It was to, I mean, it, it's, it's to look... The specific terms was to look at whether Australia needed an emissions trading scheme as well as what was happening in other countries around the world in terms of uh, emissions trading schemes, but also to look at what 
Australia's emission reduction target should be relative to what was happening in other countries and also what was needed according to the climate science to limit global warming to well below two degrees, as was agreed at Paris. Uh Um, David Michael here. Um, we should perhaps explain to the listeners the, the wonderful effort you're putting in for us. Um, we know you've got a nine o'clock meeting with, that's immovable with your head of department and, and that's why we um, have to have you by phone and, and your bus drove off and you're still walking in. Um, this... I'm now sitting at my desk. So <laughs> that's that I can catch my breath and no more huffing and puffing. But I'm, I'm actually up three flights of stairs in my desk at my office. Thank so you. If the phone has problems, just call me on the landline, but the mobile, I hope, is working okay. Okay, so the the essence of this special review um, was a three-part report. Um, You've you've published what's called a minority report, which um, the Climate Change Authority isn't even allowing you to call that on their their public statements on the front. You've said you and Clive Hamilton have disagreed with or unable to agree with the conclusions of some of the majority report. um, What's your differences with that? Well, the main difference is that the uh, main report or the final report from the Climate Change Authority, we believe, is inconsistent with the first report, also by the Climate Change Authority, which uh, recommended targets for Australia's emission reductions. And we believe that the policy recommendations in the final report are not adequate to meet the earlier recommendations from the Climate Change Authority about the urgency with which rapid emission reductions are needed to limit global warming to well below two degrees, possibly to as little as one and a half degrees, and also for Australia to do its fair share in in those emission reductions. Now, it's important to understand the first part of this special review. The Climate Change Authority released its report in April of 2015, April last year, uh, recommended for the first time a carbon budget, a allocation, a total set of emissions or amount of emissions of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases that the Climate Change Authority had assessed was Australia's fair share of global emission reductions from 2013 to 2050. And unfortunately, the federal government ignored those recommendations. Those recommendations had said that Australia's emissions in 2020 should be 19% below 2000 levels and in 2030 should be between 40 and 60% below 2000 levels. In fact, the federal government made much weaker um, emission reduction targets, only 19 to 22% below 2,000 levels by 2030 or 26 to 28% below 2005 levels. And the different numbers are because, in fact, Australian emissions grew between 2000 and 2005. Mm-hmm. So the Australian government likes to frame it as 26 to 28% below 2005 levels, but mm. it's actually 19 to 22%. Unfortunately, there's a whole bunch of numbers in here. Yep. But... The critical aspect is if Australia only meets its current target from the government in 2030, it will have used up 90% of what the Climate Change Authority had said was a fair share of the global carbon budget. 
And in the remaining period, from 2030 to 2050, we only have 10% of the budget and would effectively have to go to zero emissions by 2035 from only 20% below 2000 levels in 2030, it would have to go to zero in less than five years. So that means about 15 to 20% reductions per year. There is no policy and no infrastructure change in the final report that allows that rapid emission reduction to be achieved. Now, we know that if the government and industry was behind rapid emission reductions, it could be achieved. But unfortunately, those policies, which have actually been recommended by BZE for a number of years, those policies are nowhere included in the final report of the Climate Change Authority. And that's the key reason why Clive Hamilton and myself were unwilling to endorse the recommendations, mm -hmm. because they just don't address the urgency okay. needed for rapid emission reductions for Australia to do its fair share. So, David, if we were to continue down this path with a target of 26 to 28% reduction um, and, you know, use up 90% of our carbon budget by 2030. What Can you explain further the kind of policy challenges that you would see Australia facing in that rapid reduction period? Well, you know, the, the biggest policy transformation is the, the infrastructure that would need to be implemented to go from what is effectively a 1.5% per year rate of emission reduction to a 15 to 20% per year rate of emission reduction would be the building of um, essentially renewable energy, zero carbon energy sources, as well as electric vehicle transport, both trains, cars and, and buses. Um, the, the dramatic changes in all of Australian infrastructure, rather than being managed over a 10 to 20 year period would have to be done in five years and it's basically clear that what the climate change authority had done was avoid making recommendations that were considered to be not politically acceptable to the current government and again that's not surprising because the federal government had appointed six new members to the climate change authority the majority of members uh, between the first report of the Climate Change Authority and the final report of the Climate Change Authority, including a new chair and five other new members. Mm. And they weren't scientists? Uh, well, I'm the only climate scientist on the Climate Change Authority. I've been a member since 2012. They did appoint one new scientist. The chief scientist of Australia is a member of the authority, but he has no training in climate change science at all. Hmm. The majority of the report uh, proposed... Uh Sorry, the majority report proposed a baseline but no credit scheme for all energy sectors other than the electricity sector, um, which an emissions trading scheme has been recommended. Uh, how do you see this affecting our energy sector and those wanting to invest in it? Well, look, let, let's take a step back. Um, first of all, although the report was required to assess the importance of an emissions trading scheme, in fact, the words emissions trading scheme are not used at all all in describing any of the policies for Australia, um, partly because the words emissions trading scheme have become synonymous with carbon tax in mm. the um, ears of the Australian government. And that's become politicised. 
and that's become heavily politicised. So those words have basically disappeared from the mm. report, even though the terms of reference say address and assess whether an emissions trading scheme is needed in Australia. They've used different words. They've used market mechanisms as a synonym for emissions trading scheme. The first scheme that has been recommended for the electricity sector is, in fact, an emissions intensity scheme. And this is an emissions intensity scheme in which there's a baseline uh, for emissions intensity for the whole of the electricity sector, measured in terms of kilograms of carbon dioxide emitted per megawatt hour of electricity generated. Now, that scheme in principle might work, but there are a couple of disadvantages with that scheme. The reason for promoting it is it imposes less costs on the electricity sector if they don't meet their targets because the targets are incremental targets. They're reductions from the previous year's baseline. Most um, schemes that have been used around the world for effectively charging or introducing a cost to uh, a polluter have been uh, what would be called um, full waste disposal cost schemes. Schemes that effectively are what are called polluter pay schemes. And these impose effectively the full cost associated with the emissions or charge for the full amount of emissions. In other words, when you pay for your waste, either through your sewerage and your water rates or when you pay a charge to the council, you don't pay an incremental charge based on whether you've increased your you know, use of sewerage or your extra waste that you're dumping compared to some baseline or some average, you pay essentially for each time your rubbish bin's cleared mm. or your connection to the sewerage system. Mm. What was being suggested, recommended, is an incremental scheme that says there's a baseline and doesn't charge for the average amount of electricity, well, carbon dioxide emissions for generating electricity. The problem with that scheme is, first of all, there's much less of a price incentive to the users to reduce their electricity use. The other problem with an emissions intensity scheme is that it doesn't set an absolute limit on emissions. Mm. In other words, if a ele more electricity is generated because there's more demand from users, then emissions can still go up, even if every generator is meeting the emissions intensity baseline. Because if more electricity is used, then there's still meeting uh, the, the baseline amount. So the problem with this is you could still have emissions from the electricity sector going up associated with greater electricity use without limiting um, emissions at all. And so that's a major problem with an emissions intensity scheme. Absolutely. And, and emissions are increasing in the last couple of years. They, they are indeed in Australia, uh, both in terms of the... Well, in the electricity sector, they're still roughly staying the same because there have been major improvements in energy efficiency as well as major increases in the use of solar PV and wind power across Australia in many different sectors. Yeah. For those of you who have just listened, just joined us, you're listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions show and we're talking with the, Professor David Caroli and discussing his minority report. 
David, we've got an impossible task almost as bad as solving climate change in the next few minutes. I know you've got to go in about six, seven minutes. I have four major topics we'd like to cover. One is the concept of this carbon budget, that, um, and perhaps if I give you these topics and you you've, you've use the time. So you're talking about a carbon budget. Um, there's a lot of argument that even that carbon budget is just totally unsafe, totally unreasonable, that we don't have a carbon budget. I'd like you to cover what you think is wrong with the majority, the, the, the most pertinent things of the majority recommendations, and perhaps more pertinently, your recommendations, um, your rec- um, outcomes. And um, just before we got them in here, you quickly told us about the latest kerfuffle, the Macquarie Island closure due to funding cuts. I'm not sure if you can get a sentence in on that. Uh, sure. Well, look, let me talk about carbon budgets, first of all. And so uh, scientists have understood over the last well, a couple of decades, that it's the concentrations of carbon dioxide that are critically important for determining the changes in global average temperature. But those concentrations of carbon dioxide are effectively related to the cumulative amount of carbon dioxide emissions from human activity over the period since the Industrial Revolution. That means, and it takes a very, very long time for natural processes to remove that carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. So what this means is that it's the cumulative emissions of carbon dioxide over a period of time that determine the change in temperature. Essentially, it's a thousand years before they start to decay, isn't it? Uh, That's correct. Well, carbon dioxide will actually start to decay, um, and... But it takes a very long time. And at the same time as the carbon dioxide is being removed naturally from the climate system, actually the climate system still warms because it takes more than a 1,000 years for the heat added to the surface of the ocean to penetrate through to the deep ocean. And so that will then lead to ongoing warming of the climate system for a 1,000 years. So as the carbon dioxide is removed by natural processes, the climate system still continues to warm as the heat is mixed through the deep ocean. So there's a, a, a sort of counteract, uh, counteracting um, two factors. Although the carbon dioxide is slowly removed, actually the climate system is still warming because of the take-up of heat in the climate system. So what that means is cumulative emissions of carbon dioxide determine the long-term average temperature that's going to be achieved or the change in temperature. Now, what climate scientists assessed is that there's essentially between 2010 and 2050, a trillion tonnes of carbon dioxide is essentially the global carbon budget that would give a reasonable chance, a two-thirds chance of limiting global warming to less than two degrees. Which arguably is utterly unreasonable. That is completely unreasonable. If you were to ask anyone in the audience, would they step onto an aeroplane if there was a one-third chance of it crashing or step into a car if they were told there was a one-third chance of that car crashing? No one would use that. And yet we're being asked to live on a planet with a one-third chance or more that we're going to experience dangerous climate change, and that the whole population will experience dangerous climate change. That is an unreasonable risk for most people to take, and yet that's what the global governments have agreed. If we were to try to limit 
global warming to, say, a 90% chance of staying below 2 degrees. Unfortunately, we have already passed that carbon budget allocation. So we're already way beyond a 90%, well, a less than 10% chance of exceeding two degrees of global warming. We're also well outside the range of limiting global warming to one and a half degrees. And a number of countries have assessed that limiting global warming to one and a half degrees is key to limiting sea level rise, to limiting adverse impacts on ecosystems. Pacific Island surviving and so on. Dave, perhaps if we get to what you think are the important recommendations in your part of the report. Sure. Well, look, as I said before, it's critically important that we set a price on carbon dioxide emissions and other long-lived greenhouse gas emissions, not just in the electricity sector, but across as many sectors of the economy as possible. Mm -hmm. That was similar to what we had in the carbon pricing mechanism in Australia. And the real demonstration of the value of the carbon pricing mechanism, putting a price on all sectors rather than the direct action, commonly known as the direct inaction (laughs) policy of the Australian government, is that under the direct inaction policy, sorry, the current policy of the Australian government, there has been an increase every year in the greenhouse gas emissions from Australia uh, since the direct action policy was introduced two years ago and since the carbon pricing mechanism. So what we need is something similar to the carbon pricing mechanism that sets a full price on total emissions of greenhouse gases from all sectors, Mm -hmm. from electricity generation, from transport, from industrial use, from agriculture, and from um, fugitive emissions from waste dumps, as well as from fugitive emissions from uh, mining activities. So all sectors need to be covered, and that spreads the cost. The other advantage of that sort of emissions trading scheme is that it allows the government to then provide some funds to specifically support the transition to new zero carbon economy and to provide compensation for the um, communities and sectors of the economy that are most affected to allow them to rapidly transition to a zero carbon economy. And in the last two minutes we've got, David, perhaps do you you want to talk about the Macquarie Island closure? Yeah, look, most people won't be aware, but today is International Day for Protection of the Ozone Layer, announced by the uh, World Meteorological Organization and the International Ozone Commission and the United Nations Environment Program. This is actually a good news story. At least part of it is because... um, Uh, international agreements were set up more than 20 years ago now in the 1990s to limit the use, well, the production and use of ozone-depleting chemicals. And Australia was a major contributor to that, and the use of ozone-depleting chemicals has been banned in almost all cases in Australia. We now have seen the ozone-depleting chemical concentrations falling in the stratosphere, and the ozone layer and the ozone hole are starting to recover. Hmm. That's mm. fantastic good news and an important reason for celebrating today. Mm. Yeah, and an exactly. example of the sort of cooperation that we just aren't getting on climate change, but exactly. a very successful example. Yes. That's correct. Now, the bad news is the Australian mm. Antarctic Division, as part of its cost-cutting measures recommended by the government, 
is closing down its manned operations on Macquarie Island. Macquarie Island is located southeast of Tasmania, about halfway between Tasmania and Antarctica, and a, bit, a little bit further to the east. It's the only um, Australian operating weather station and ozone monitoring station between Australia and Antarctica. And if the manned operations cease, the weather balloons, and particularly the ozone-observing balloons, will no longer be able to be launched from Macquarie Island. It has the longest continuous record of surface observations of the total amount of ozone over Macquarie Island, well, over the Southern Ocean, of any location in the Southern Hemisphere. There are no other observing sites in the middle of the Southern Ocean that monitor the total column ozone. And that record has existed since early 1960s for more than 50 years, and it will cease. We've had balloons... Just like... Our time today has ceased. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. I could yeah. no. rattle on about this. You know when you're as sorry as we are oh, now, no. listeners, David. It's just been such a pleasure talking to you, David. Thank you Look, so I'm much. Look, I'm happy to come time. on again at some stage in the future. That'd oh, be that'd brilliant. Be Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, David. Um, sure. For, for listeners who feel what can they do, there is something you can do. Divestment is one of the most successful actions happening on this front. It's a personal action you can take. There's an Australia-wide divestment day happening October 7. It's calling the banks to – sorry, October 7 and 8. Um, our four major banks, ANZ, Commonwealth, NAB and Westpac, have since committing to the Paris Agreement lent an additional $5.6 billion. Um, Go to marketforces.org.au – slash divestment day or just marketforces.org.au, right round Australia. You don't have to even actually close your account. You can come along and give a notice of intention to the bank. Please join us. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Solutions Think Tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, you can go to www.bze.org.au and click on podcasts. And you can find us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week. Don't forget our sister program every Monday at 5pm. It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pantaja. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.